I want to begin uh, just by sharing a few announcements. I typically share those towards the end, um, but I want to hit these three before I even get into his word this morning. Uh, the first is this, is that this Wednesday is the second Wednesday of the month. And what that means is that's the day we set aside for prayer and fasting. So this is our second Wednesday uh, call to prayer and fasting. Uh, we would love it if you would join us as our church family in intentionally praying, uh, praying for one or two specific needs for your own home, your own household, your own life, but also praying for God's kingdom and praying for the church, that God would move. I'll tell you the prayer that I'm going to be praying this Wednesday will be prayers of, of breakthrough, uh, breakthrough in relationships in my own life where I see strain, breakthrough in the lives of people who I know who aren't yet turning things over to the Lord, breakthrough for our church uh, as we strive to be disciples who make disciples. And so I will repeat those prayers throughout the day. Uh, we encourage you, if you're able, uh, to accompany that with fasting, if your health allows that, uh, because as your body prompts you for the food, or if you choose to fast from something else, but I encourage you to do it with food, again, if your health allows that, when your body prompts you and your stomach growls and you feel those pangs of hunger, we turn our attention back to the Father, and we keep seeking Him and pursuing Him and, and, and praying, and we see God move. And then as you pray throughout the day, we invite you to come back here at 6 p.m., and we just spend a season of 45 minutes to an hour praying and just seeking God together. Um, we even want to provide opportunities to pray over you and for the needs in your life, whether they're physical, spiritual, emotional. And so that's this Wednesday, the second Wednesday of the month, our call to prayer and fasting. Uh, pray with us through the day and then join us at 6 p.m. right here in this space. Uh, the second announcement is related to Next Steps. Uh, we are relaunching um, our Next Steps class on the third Sunday of every month. Uh, March 19th will be our very first Next Steps class as we kind of relaunch after the last year or so. And uh, we encourage you to come. If, if you are new to Lebanon Christian Church, if maybe you've been coming just over the last year and you wanna find out what your next step is in your journey of faith, uh, maybe you've been here a while and you're just looking to see what's next for you. Uh, we're gonna spend 45 minutes with you um, down in 117 and 1145 on the third Sunday of the month. A light lunch is gonna be provided. If you have children, they're invited to come and sit. Um, we'll eat, you'll have a chance to meet people around your table, and then we'll share for 20, 25 minutes with you and give you what we're calling our Discover LCC guide so you can look at how you can experience next steps here at Lebanon Christian Church and experience the fullness of life that God has for you. We'd really like it if you would let us know if you're coming so we have the right amount of food and so you can go on our website and, and you can find the, I think it's under the events tab, next steps, and, and you should be able to put on the form how many people are coming in your name and your email address to let us help you. Then the final announcement is related to your stories. Our theme for Easter this year is the same theme, but with a different twist we had at Christmas. And that theme is this changes everything. Just really showing how Jesus changes everything for us. Everything, how we act, how we live, what we do, what we think. Um, and there's so much freedom and joy and hope in that. And we wanna share your stories of how Jesus has changed everything for you. So here's what we're asking for. Would you email us stories at lebanonchristian.org, just a very brief, we're not asking for your whole story, we like those two, but we'd like to just know your brief, how has Jesus changed everything for you? Uh, this week, our staff are gonna be recording some of these and showing them to you in the coming weeks of how Jesus has changed everything for me. 
It's just gonna be a brief 90 second. Like this is one way that Jesus has changed everything for me. Would you be willing to share that with us? And then we have a team that will get in contact with you. And if you would allow it, we'd love to record that part of your story and showcase that uh, during our Easter worship experiences so the people that join us can see how Jesus changes everything. And the first step in that is just let us know your story, how he's done that. So email us, stories at lebanonchristian.org uh, to help us with that. Um, now I want to move into our message, but I want to do so asking God to lead us in that. So just pray with me. Uh, Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the chance to gather. Thank you for the chance to sing. Thank you for the opportunity to reflect on your life, your death, your, res your resurrection as we share in the Lord's Supper. Thank you for the chance to look into your word, to be taught by you on how we can pursue one another within the body of Christ, within the church, among followers of Jesus, the family of God, but God also how we can pursue one another and should pursue one another who don't yet know you. Lead us in this, Father. Give me the words. Guide my thoughts. Guide our hearts. Help us to hear. And it's in your name we pray. Uh, amen. We're going to finish up this look at pursue one another. And if you're just joining us, just a really brief recap. Pursue one another is the second component in our three-year strategic plan. Uh, we want to pursue. We want to pursue Jesus first and foremost. But Jesus calls us to pursue others. We want to pursue one another well. We want to pursue our purpose. And so we're kind of laying the theological or the biblical foundation, the spiritual foundation for why these are going to be so important to us now and over the coming years at Lebanon Christian Church. We've spent the, the first few weeks of this, couple weeks of this series looking at what it looks like to pursue one another within the local church among followers of Jesus. What is it that Jesus tells us about how we're supposed to interact with one another? How do we intentionally engage other followers of Jesus in ways that honor him and reflect him and, and honor them? And then we made a shift last week to look at what does it look like to pursue the one another's that are not yet part of the church? We looked at how God has a heart for the not yet those that have yet to experience him and how he wants us to build bridges to them and how that's demonstrated in scripture again and again and again. And today we're kind of kind of built off of that and, and look at how if we're going to engage the not yet, pursuing one another who are not yet followers of Jesus will likely require some dangerous witness on our part. Pursuing one another will require us to risk danger and difficulty. When we strive to reach a world who doesn't yet know him, when we strive to showcase a way of living that is not how other people live, um, that can be threatening to people, uh, it can be hard for people, and, and that can result in ridicule back to you. Uh, it can result in emotional ridicule and, and hardship and even physical hardship in some places in our world and, and maybe even uh, over the next couple of decades, even in our own uh, country. And so I want to look at dangerous witness. What can we understand about what's required in reaching the not yet and the risk of danger uh, that we will experience? We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 uh, for most of our morning. We're actually going to be in Acts 17 the next couple of weeks, even as we move into Pursue Your Purpose next week. We'll be looking at the first 15 verses. You can find that in your Bibles and your Bible app. I'm not going to read it just yet. We'll be there in a moment. But as we think about dangerous witness, um, 
I want you to understand that when I speak about dangerous witness, it's not just something that um, is, 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 is a fun phrase to say or a fun concept to think about. Like we see this in Jesus. When Jesus chose to live for the purposes of God, when he chose to reveal that he was what all the law and prophets were pointing to, that brought him into conflict with the Jewish leaders and what resulted, danger and difficulty. As he chose to live, not only did it bring him into conflict with the Jewish leaders, but it brought him into conflict with Rome because he was declaring that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was king. And there were two things that were going on in the Roman Empire at that time that made that difficult. Caesar himself referred to himself as the son of God, and he referred to himself as king. And so here is Jesus who's living for the purposes of God, and it brings him into direct conflict with the Jewish leaders and Rome, which results in danger for himself. We see the same thing happen in his first followers. Uh, we have stories of um, how the early disciples, uh, many of them were martyred or killed for their faith. We read some of those stories in the book of Acts, like when it comes to James. Uh, we, we have words in, in Paul's letters and Peter's letters and John's letters that speak about the hardship that comes to people as they're striving to live for Jesus and for his purposes in the world for the hope of reaching the world. There's, there's dangerous witness on every page, and we're going to see that in Acts chapter 17. The, the words in Acts 17, 1 through 15, um, come in the midst of what is Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, Paul took three primary missionary journeys, some say a fourth as he traveled to Rome the final time. Um, and these journeys is where he went to city after city in the Roman Empire to help them see who Jesus was and is and should be uh, in their lives. The events, this is interesting, that occur in verses 1 through 15 as I was studying this, uh, they occur about the exact same time of year as we're in right now, just 1,972 years ago. As you kind of chart Paul's life, he would have been in Thessalonica sometime around November of AD 50, and he was there through February of AD 50, and then he began his move into Berea around the first week of March, AD 51, and was there before moving on to Athens, and that's where we are right now, the first week of March. So uh, 1,972 years ago, Paul was doing the things that we're reading about. Just an interesting uh, bit to add. I'm going to read the whole passage and just kind of make some highlights along the way, and then we'll reflect on the dangerous witness that we see. Acts 17, verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Don't be scared by names that are weird and you don't understand. All throughout the world in different cultures, cities are named different things that just don't quite have the same ring to our ears. Uh, but Paul and his companions are going through Amphipolis and Apollonia and they come to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, this is what Paul typically did, uh, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, for three straight weeks, he reasoned with them, the people in the synagogue, from the scriptures. Now, the scriptures that Paul would have had are the Old Testament scriptures. So he is going into the synagogue among primarily Jewish people. We'll read in a moment that there are God-fearing Greeks even there, and he's reasoning with them. He's opening up the pages of, of the books of Moses. He's opened up the pages of David's words in the Psalms. He's opened up the pages of the prophets, and he's helping them see how the Jesus that he experienced on the road to Damascus is the Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament. He's helping connect these dots for them. So for three weeks, he reasons with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. 
This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Now, we don't have the whole discourse that Paul would have shared in Thessalonica. We just have a summary statement from Luke. He shared with them essentially the gospel. He reasoned with them. And there's a pretty good response. Some of the Jews there are persuaded. They decide, I'm gonna follow Jesus just like Paul and Silas. Some of the God-fearing Greeks are persuaded. Some of the prominent women in the town are persuaded. But not everybody is as excited. And look at what happens in verse five. But the other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. As I was reading about this in some commentaries, they shared how typically in the city of Thessalonica, there were a group of people who were somewhat impoverished, who were always in the marketplace looking for work from day to day. They were genuinely, generally probably unhappy. And so these jealous Jewish leaders go and recruit some unhappy men, some of the rabble, and they form a mob and they start a riot. They rush to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. When they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. So they can't find Paul and Silas, so they find the other believers, and they find out that Paul and Silas have been staying with Jason, so they bring Jason and other believers, and they drag them before the leaders of Thessalonica. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, they said saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Again, as was Paul's custom, what he would do, he'd show up in a town, go to the synagogue. Uh, Paul tells us elsewhere in his letters that um, like he was kind of top among the Jews. He studied under the best rabbis, and he was a Pharisee when it came to keeping the law. Like, like He understands Judaism, so he goes to the synagogue again, hoping to convince people of who Jesus is and how he fulfills the law. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So as Paul's reasoning with these Jewish believers, they're actually opening up the scrolls for themselves. When Paul says, hey, this is what Isaiah the prophet said, and this is how Jesus fulfills that, they will go through the scroll of Isaiah themselves, and they will recount those words. They're examining. They want to see if all this fuss, all this Um, teaching about Jesus is true, and so they're testing it. They're not rising up and building a resistance against them. And look at the result. Verse 12, as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. People are responding. But then, verse 13, but when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Uh, these Jewish leaders who are spurned, who are, are, are frustrated, they're losing influence, they're probably losing money, they're losing control. They actually travel to the town of Berea to stir up unrest there. And so the believers immediately, verse 14, sent Paul to the coast. But Paul and Silas, but, sorry, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. What we see in verses 1 through 15 is dangerous witness. 
Paul has determined that he is going to live for King Jesus. And because he lives for King Jesus, he understands the great commission of Jesus, that he has to go into all the world and help other people experience him. So for Paul, that means traveling to these cities in Rome. As he travels there, some people don't want to have their lives changed. They don't want to bring their lives underneath the authority of King Jesus. And so they respond harshly, and his life is in danger. And if you read the life of Paul in the book of Acts, you'll see that this is not the first time. In his first missionary journey, they met opposition. He's been flogged. He's been beaten. In fact, in the passage that precedes this, it tells us that before they went to Thessalonica, Paul and Silas were in Philippi. Guess what happened in Philippi? They were flogged. They were beaten. They were hung in shackles in a jail because of their faith. It's dangerous witness. And they meet that in Thessalonica. They meet that in Berea. And then Paul travels to Athens. It's a story of people who strive to follow Jesus and strive to reach other people for him. They will likely experience danger. And this is not just something that happens for people in the first century AD. It's continued to happen to followers of Jesus throughout the history of the world. And it's happening right now. It even happens in our own country, in our own city. Now, often it's not the same physical uh, abuse in our own country. It's more emotional abuse, ridicule, mocking, uh, threatening, uh, but it happens. Along the way this morning, I want to come back and forth or go back and forth between a couple of stories of a man and a woman who are experiencing their own um, persecution and danger as they strive to follow Jesus I got these stories from um, a newsletter, a magazine from an organization called The Voice of the Martyrs. You can get it for free. You can Google Voice of the Martyrs, go to their website, subscribe to their newsletter, and you'll hear stories every month of men and women around the world who are following King Jesus, and it results in dangerous witness. It results in persecution. Um, you may wonder, why am I not showing their pictures on the screen? Well, Voice of the Martyrs is pretty intentional. They will send out stories and pictures in the mail. They have control over who those go to. Uh, but if I put their pictures up on the screen and it goes out to YouTube, guess what? Everybody gets to see. And so we want to protect uh, people around the world who are faithful to King Jesus. But the two stories, one's of a man named Omar. Omar's story is found in the February edition of Voice of the Martyrs newsletter. Um, Omar is a preacher now in Bangladesh. Uh, Omar was a Muslim. Uh, he was a devout Muslim. The primary religion in Bangladesh is Islam. Uh, Bangladesh even says that they support religious freedom. Uh, however, uh, Christians are some of the most persecuted people in the country of Bangladesh. Omar was faithful to Allah, uh, believed in the prophet Muhammad and what he had to say. And one day he finds himself in a park in his city in Bangladesh and a stranger approaches him, shares with him a tract, a gospel tract that just kind of communicates about who Jesus is. What results in a, that results in a 20-minute conversation with this stranger, which piques Omar's interest uh, about who Jesus might be and kind of contradicts what he's heard in his faith in Islam. So Omar goes and gets a copy of the Bible and he begins this journey of trying to discover who Jesus is and what the Bible has to say. And God does what only God can do. God draws Omar to himself, and Omar decides to leave Islam to follow Jesus and to live for him. Omar begins to live differently. And Omar's family takes notice. And as Omar decides to take seriously the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 to go into all the world, he starts with his family. 
and he shares with his Muslim mother and father and siblings who Jesus is and how he has come to know him. And Omar is disowned by his mother and his father and his siblings. So Omar's left with himself, his wife, and his children. Uh, Omar works as a, um, a person who cleans the buses, the public transportation, and he helps passengers on the bus. And so he committed his life to sharing with them the hope of Jesus. And that resulted in a few years ago um, in Omar's arrest. What had happened is word had traveled and some Islamist extremists learned of Omar's faith and his desire to share about Jesus. And so they asked him to come to a meeting. He came to the meeting, prepared to share with them who Jesus was. He brought his Quran, he brought the Bible, and he began to show them how Jesus in the Quran is not the true Jesus, how Jesus is the savior of the world and he rescued him. Uh, those extremists took his Quran and they tore it in two and they asked him to leave and to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. Omar continued. Within days, Omar was arrested on charges of destroying the Quran. The problem was he didn't destroy the Quran. The extremists did. And that has sent Omar into this journey of being in prison and then out of prison. Uh, he shares the story in here of how um, at one point in the last few years, he was taken in by um, those um, Islamic extremists. He was hung with his wrists behind his back, tied to his ankles. And as he spun like a pinata, they beat him unconscious. He now bears the scars. Uh, he now has pain walking. He has to use a device every morning to stretch his back. And yet what does Omar do? He continues to walk to city after city, proclaiming the name of Jesus as he awaits his trial. He's facing up to 27 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, and he continues to want to share with people who Jesus is and how he's transformed his life. That's dangerous witness. In the March edition is the story of this woman named Smiti. She's a 26-year-old from Nepal who seven years ago, when she was just 13, uh, came to know Jesus through an incredible experience. And now she commits her life to daily traveling from village to village, helping people experience what she has to know who Jesus is. Uh, she teaches people um, agriculture, like how to take care of crops, how to farm a little bit better. But she's intentionally uh, taken the agricultural training and she's paired it up with some teachings about Jesus. And so when she is working with another farmer, she has the chance to share with them who Jesus is. And she shares stories how she has been kicked out of villages, banned from going to villages. She's been threatened. She's been mocked. She's been spit upon. Um, and, and all from Hindu people because she was previously Hindu and they can't believe that she left Hinduism to follow Jesus. That's dangerous witness. And the article in the March, Voice of the Martyrs newsletter says that she's now looking to move to a more Muslim area of Nepal to reach people she hasn't reached before knowing that she'll likely face more danger. I share all that because what we see in Paul and Silas and Thessalonica and Berea still happens today. It happens in Bangladesh. It happens in Nepal. And it even happens in our own country. When people strive to order their lives under the authority of King Jesus and live for him and are so transformed they want to help other people experience him, it often results in danger. If we're going to pursue one another, it will mean dangerous witness. And you may ask, why, why is it so dangerous? Why following uh, King Jesus and sharing about him with others, what, what makes it 
so dangerous. Here's what makes it dangerous is that at its very core, the gospel confronts our lives and requires change. The gospel at its core requires change. Look at what Paul says in, Thess- in Thessalonians. Start Thessalonians. He's in Thessalonica. This is not Thessalonians. This is Acts chapter 17. In Acts 17, verses 2 and 3, look at his message in the synagogue. It says that on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. So, so Paul's whole message is that Jesus is the rescuing king. That word Messiah comes with regal authority. It's a, it's a term of kingship. He is king. He has suffered. He has risen from the dead. He has died for our sins. Uh, the message that Paul is proclaiming is, both, is not just the what and the how, but the why of salvation. It's not just how much God loves us and what he's done for us in Jesus, but that, that, that he invites us. It's the why. He invites us to follow him, to order our lives under his authority. And when you have someone who's telling you how to live, that confronts you a little bit. And that, that comes into conflict with you being the ruler of your own life or, or, your, or your culture's being the ruler of your life or telling what you to do. It's, it's, it's confronting you. It, it brings you into conflict. The gospel changes things. It confronts us. And that will always bring us into opposition with other people. And so when you allow Jesus to transform your life and to change you, when you order your priorities, your dreams, your ambitions, your wealth, your politics, everything under King Jesus, guess what? As you begin to share that with other people, it's going to threaten their own way of life. And it will cause danger because the gospel confronts everything. And thinking about Smiti and um, uh, Omar for a moment, both of them in their interviews, the Voice of the Martyrs reference. John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they say that's what they live for. It is all about him. Their lives are no longer their own. They live for his ways. They live for his truths. They, they make their life all about his life. And that results in them sharing with people a different way to live, which results in danger. And the same will be true of, of us. The same thing will happen to us. Some thoughts that I wrote down. When we think about Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as Savior, Jesus as the rescuing King, we have to recognize that our Savior, our rescue, our leader in our life is not our money. It's not our security. It's not a robust national defense strategy. It's not an economic system. It's not capitalism, socialism, communism. It's not a political candidate or a party. It's not Republican. It's not Democrat. It's not independent. Our Savior is not our friends. It's not the right spouse. It's not the right career. It's not sex. It's not a substance. It's only Jesus. And when we order our lives under King Jesus, it will bring us and our very lives into opposition with the people around us. And as you try to share with someone who Jesus is and what he can do for them, it will likely result in dangerous witness. Someone's going to ridicule you. Someone's going to make fun of you. Someone's going to turn away from you because of what you say. But to pursue one another, we have to risk dangerous witness. Something else we see here is that uh, dangerous witness requires determined disciples. Again, thinking back at Paul's missionary journeys, you see that he keeps 
persisting. Even if we just go back to, again, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are flogged and beaten and jailed. Yet are they deterred? No. They move on to Thessalonica. They run out of Thessalonica. Yet are they deterred? No, they're determined. And so they move on to Berea. In Berea, things seem to be going well. And then the mob shows up and they have to flee again. Yet is Paul deterred? No, he is determined. He moves on to Athens. And we'll see him move from Athens into other places. He'll end up in Corinth and Ephesus. And then he persists on to Rome because dangerous witness requires determined disciples, disciples who will stick with it, disciples who will say, I'm going to order my life under King Jesus no matter what. Uh, will that be said of us? Again, think about Omar and Smiti. Uh, Omar and Smiti have said, no matter what, I'm following him. No matter what, I'm sticking with him. Uh, in fact, uh, I find these words of Smiti uh, impactful, and they remind me of some words in First Peter I'll get to in a moment. But when interviewed, here's what she has to say. She says, I am not discouraged because whatever the persecution and difficulties that I have seen, I also see that actually God is working. She's not discouraged. Omar, in his interview, talks about he'll continue to share with people no matter how many times he's imprisoned, no matter how many times he's beaten, no matter what happens with the charges, uh, even though they're, they're false, he will keep going, and it just brings more resolve to him. And that reminds me of what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. He talks about suffering with Christ, and he says that when we suffer like Christ suffered, uh, we're, we're done with sin. Like suffering for Jesus, experiencing danger for Jesus, has a way of refining us and bringing focus to us. Because we're like, hey, this is worth it. I'm going to keep with this no matter what happens. Will we be that determined? When you reorder your family around Jesus, when you make worshiping him a priority, and so you reorganize your schedule, and it brings you into conflict with coaches and teammates, when you reorder your work to make him a priority, when you reorder your finances to make him a priority, when you stay determined in living for King Jesus and people ask you why and people question you and people ridicule you and people threaten you to lose your job, your position on the team or your place in the choir, will you keep going? Will you be determined for him? If we're gonna pursue one another, it will, it will mean dangerous witness, but it will require us to be determined disciples of Jesus. Will you do that? When you're, when you're with a group of friends and they say, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you take this hit of marijuana? Or why don't you take this drink? Or why don't you do this with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? And you say, no, I can't. Why can't you? Because I'm a follower of Jesus and they make fun of you and she breaks up with you and they don't want to hang out with you anymore. Well, you stay determined so that you can pursue one another. Will you experience the dangerous witness as a determined disciple of Jesus? One more thing about determined disciples is that determined disciples who are dangerous witnesses change the world. I want you to see this uh, in Acts 17. Look first at verse four. Because Paul and Silas and others are willing to risk, look at what happens. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas 
as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. People's lives are changed. You can actually go and read the letters from Paul to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. You can see about the effects that his willingness to be a dangerous witness and stay determined had on their lives. Lives were changed. Look at verse 12. When he's in Berea, as a result, many of them believed as, did, as they did, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. People are changed. Lives are changed. The world is changed when we are dangerous witnesses who remain determined. Will you and I allow God to use us to change the world? One of the things I love about these stories of Omar and Smiti is it talks about the lives of people who have been changed. People have come to know Christ right alongside of them. How people now have the hope of Jesus, who are now pursuing Jesus with them because they chose to pursue one another even when it meant dangerous witness. Will the same things be said of us? I would encourage you that if you don't experience very much hardship, if you don't experience a whole lot of ridicule, if no one's ever made fun of you or challenged you because of your faith, uh, then it's likely uh, that you need to allow the gospel to transform more of who you are and what you do. Because the, the gospel itself, as it changes us, confronts everything. We should experience ridicule. We should experience hardship as we move out to pursue the one another's. It should mean dangerous witness. And if our lives are too comfortable, then we need to check our own lives and our own behaviors and our own attitudes. Are they ordered underneath the authority of King Jesus? Maybe this is just a great time to ask a question. What parts of your life does Jesus still need to transform with his gospel? What parts are you holding back? Is it your schedule? Is it your interests? Is it what brings you pleasure? Is it your wealth? Your energy? What is it that you're holding back that's not allowing him to transform you to the place that you want to help impact other people in a way that challenges them and maybe results in your own hardship? Identify that. Commit to allowing the gospel to change you that God might use you to help bring his change to other people. But one other thing that comes to me as I read this and I think about a way to apply it is, do you understand that God needs dangerous witnesses not just in our own country but around the world? Could it be that God's calling someone else right now in this room or someone who's watching this or listening to this at some point in the future to respond to the call to be a dangerous witness in some part of the world where people don't yet know him? I was, I was deeply impacted about three years ago, maybe even four years ago, actually, when um, we had a, a team, a trainer in for our global impact team to help us know how to better engage the world. One of those trainers' names was Andrew Jitt. He spoke with us on a Sunday morning. He was from New Zealand, had a beautiful accent. Uh, but Andrew shared with me in that encounter when we were hanging out over that weekend that he works with primarily uh, young people that are part of what we would call Gen Z. He works with primarily older high school students and young adults to help them see how they can make an impact around the world. And he shared one particular story that has always stuck with me. He shared the story about a woman in her young 20s, blonde, fair-skinned, who chose to respond to God's call and go to Somalia. 
If you know anything about Somalia, it's not very uh, open or encouraging to Christians. Um, it's definitely not very open to women, a pretty repressive culture when it comes to women. And as a blonde, fair-skinned white woman, she would stand out extensively in Somalia. And yet as a single 20-something-year-old, early 20s, she chose to go and spend her days meeting people in a village outside of a main city in Somalia to help them come to know Jesus. And she's persisted to this day at great risk, at great danger, because she knows that they need to know who Jesus is. And I wonder if there aren't people even in this room, perhaps some of our youngest, who God could be calling to say, come be my dangerous witness. Be my dangerous witness on the continent of Africa. Be my dangerous witness in Asia. Be my dangerous witness in Europe. Be my dangerous witness in South America. Be my dangerous witness. Maybe God's calling some in this world to leave a comfortable city like Lebanon or a comfortable state like Indiana and, and move to one of our cities on the coast to reach people and risk, risk the ridicule, risk the, the, the unpopular opinions of neighbors to pursue one another would you risk the dangerous witness to reach the ones who don't yet know him? And then finally, just a word to those who maybe don't yet know him. Could we learn from the example of the Bereans? When Paul is in Berea, it says in verse 11 that they were more noble. They received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Often in the church, we will use this to say that followers of Jesus need to test what's being shared from the platform to see if it's true. And that is true. You should always go home and read your own Bibles. You should be reading your Bibles right now. But the immediate context of this is not Christians. This is Jewish people who have yet to respond to Jesus. They hear about Jesus and how he's transforming people's lives, how he fulfills their Old Testament scriptures. And so they examine, is this true? If you are not yet a follower of Jesus and you hear all this stuff about who Jesus is, would you receive the challenge to at least examine his claims? Would you do the research to discover if he really is the son of God, if he really did die for your sins? Because I believe that if you'll take that journey to discover who Jesus is, both his historicity of who Jesus is and the claims that he's made and how that's hold up through the, held up throughout the generations, that you will see that Jesus wants to change your life too. Will you examine what we say about Jesus to see if it's true? And if you do, I think you'll find that he drafts you into his own um, group of followers who become dangerous witnesses for him. Let's pray. And God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your truth. I thank you for Paul and Silas and Jason and the other believers' example to be willing to order their lives under you and live for you no matter what happens. And God, I thank you for the example of Omar and Smiti and what they're doing in Bangladesh and Nepal. God, I thank you for the example of others, even some in this room who choose no matter what to follow you. And because they choose to follow you and they, they choose to be bold and share you with coworkers and teammates and classmates and neighbors, they have faced ridicule. They have been left out. Some have even lost jobs, and yet they want to continue to help people experience you and say they will be a dangerous, determined witness for you, and you will change the world. Would you do that in all of us, Father? And God, for those who have yet to know you, would you make them hungry like the Bereans to examine what's said about you, 
to meet you and discover who you are. And God, as we do all these things, may we pursue you and pursue others and make a difference in our world. It's in your name we pray and trust. Amen.